Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann, the ContenderCast, for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, John Sandelman's here, Chairman, CEO, and Corporate Secretary of Air Wellness. I can't even wait. You guys might be wondering who is Air Wellness. Some of you know who Air Wellness is, but we're talking cannabis today and the industry around brands and products and packages and retail. It's going to be very exciting. Um, and you guys are going to learn a lot from John because he's not only leader of this brand, but he's he's been an entrepreneur. He is an entrepreneur. So he's got a lot to share. So John, so great to have you here on the podcast. Well, thanks again for inviting us, Justin. I'm excited that you're here. Um, man, your background's incredible, right? Banking, finance, and whatnot. And I, I have to ask, like, share with us what you were doing and what led up to Air Wellness. How did you, how did you even get involved? And I know you started sharing some of this before we hit record, but give us the story. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I've been in the financial industry for almost 30 years, uh, 30, maybe even 35 years. Um, my last jobs were President of Bank of America Securities. I started my own hedge fund, which was called Sandelman Partners, and then eventually closed that to manage our family's money, uh, which is called Mercer Park. In 2007, like every other year, I, I'm always looking for opportunities. Um, and over the last 30 years, Justin, and it took me 30 <laughs> years, so I have to apologize for this, that I'm a slow learner. I, I, I eventually started to figure out what I was good at and what I was horrible at. And over those 30 years, I simply said, hey, John, if you just focus on where your edge is, where your core competency is, you tend to make money. And if you can not stray into the areas that might seem sexy and interesting, intellectually, um, which are not your core competency, you tend to do pretty poorly with those. <laughs> and, and so in 17, with all that knowledge I had and all that worldly experience and all that discipline about focusing on my core competency, um, I received a phone call. Like, you know, I did all day long about interesting ideas that our family could invest in and back in. And also, uh, put resources in terms of talent to help um, invest and then scale uh, new businesses. The call went like this, Justin. Hey, hey John, yes. <laughs> Would you like to look at an industry that's growing north of 35%? I said, of course. Would you be interested in an industry that's highly fragmented? More than of course. Yes. <laughs> and Lastly, this industry that's growing, that's fragmented, it also has limited access to capital. And I said, I'm in. Because what typically that means, Justin, when an industry has those kind of first two dynamics, the third one has usually meant limited access to capital that we could put our family's money in and if we're right on our due diligence, there should be an exponential return. Okay. But we would have to examine the reason why it had limited access to capital. 
Right. What would be the drivers behind that? Right. And so I, I still don't know what it is at this point, right? But I'm salivating. I have to tell you the <laughs> truth, right? And I said, okay, what is it? And the person said, this is in 2017, cannabis. And I say, Justin, not my core competence. Right. Because I wasn't an expert on cannabis. Right. I, I enjoyed cannabis, but there are many <laughs> things I enjoy that don't necessarily play to my core competency. Sure. Outside enjoyment. And so I said to the person, sounds interesting. Love the dynamics. It's not something I'm going to do. And then I hung up the phone. You said no. But I said no. And it pained me. But again, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm terrible at. I only have to win 51% of the times. So let's just stay with the discipline. Right. But it didn't stop me from following it. And what I started to see, which I wasn't paying attention to, frankly, in 17, is the Canadian market to start to take off, right? I have a Bloomberg terminal. I started to see the stories. I started to see the stock appreciation uh, that was occurring in Canada with the LPs. And so uh, as a distraction, when I was on calls like this, not like this, but a Zoom call, <laughs> right? 10 people, I typically never go in the video part right. so I can multitask because my attention span is quite short. <laughs> I started to look why this wasn't occurring in the U.S. That's how naive and ignorant I was in 17. So there's explosion going on in Canada. And very little conversation happening in the U.S. So I started to do the work and I understood it was federally legal. And then I started, again, it has to fit into the box of my core competency. I started to look at the states where they had approved uh, some kind of uh, cannabis program. And I also started to look at what was happening with liquor sales in those states and sure. beer sales in particular. And it seemed to me that the line was trending down for beer as it was going from the left quadrant to the right quadrant in cannabis consumption. Got and it. I looked at the state over state over state. And it seemed to me, Justin, that there was a beginning of a paradigm shift with a particular segment of the population. And so historically, I love to catch those trends early. But we got to still understand why this is occurring, right? Sure, absolutely. So federally illegal, what does that mean for me? People were starting to tell me, John, if you invest, they're going to close your bank accounts. They're not going to let you cross the border. All this <laughs> negativity. I started to look at the multiples of those companies in the U.S. that were in business, compared them to their Canadian counterparts, a huge arbitrage in terms of the multiple differentiation, right? Very inexpensive multiples in the U.S. Sure. Very high multiples in Canada. A much smaller market. Canada is virtually the size of California. Okay, so the opportunity set would always be limited. And then look at the U.S. And it just kept coming back to the then Attorney General, who was Jeff Sessions. You may have remembered Absolutely. Jeff Sessions. Sure who was just talking negativity and 
and threatening people who were considering investing in this space. So I said to me, well, because it has to fit in my math box, right? I'm a relative value investor. U.S. cheaper than Canada. Okay, that's not good enough. Why the difference? Oh, Jeff Sessions. Okay, does he have the power that he talks about? And then I did further work with lawyers to find out that there was something called the Robacher Amendment attached to the to the budget. And Jeff's budget specifically said he could not go after cannabis. Got so it. then I said, because Jeff, it's got to look like an arbitrage, a relative value thing to be in my core competency. It's got to be around math because I'm a math guy. I said, <laughs> well, maybe this is there is an artificial misperception arbitrage. Maybe the, the multiples in the U.S. are so inexpensive compared to Canada because Jeff Sessions is saying something they can't actually do. And then I said, I'm all in when I figured out that he couldn't actually do the threats that he was espousing. Wow. So what did all in mean? And I, I was reading that you took the first cannabis SPAC to one of the top U.S. multi-state operators in just two years. And I'm guessing this is what you just shared with us is the beginning of that time, right? When you were just deciding to jump in. So what were the first couple of things you had to do? Okay. So I decided the best vehicle for this was to use the SPAC structure. And, and you're correct. This would be and was the first cannabis SPAC. Now, just for, for your listeners, because maybe they don't do the stuff I do every day. I know I don't do the stuff that they do every day. <laughs> right. But you got to unpack a SPAC for us. Just, well, just not everybody bit. is watching CNBC every day. Yeah. And, and I, so I, I never like to say this because I don't want to insult people, but at a very high level, and you tell me if I should keep going or not. But a SPAC stands for a special purpose acquisition company. So what does that mean? Your listeners for sure heard of private equity funds. This is like a listed private equity fund. So you raise a pool of money, right? You go in market. It's a security that trades on the stock exchange. It is a blind pool, meaning I tell them I'm going to invest in cannabis, but I don't have to give any more detail than that. Frankly, I didn't have more detail on that. Right. Because I still wasn't an expert on cannabis. And, and then the, the investors, when I find the assets I want to buy different than private equity, get to vote and say, John, we don't agree. Give us our money back. Or we agree. Go ahead and close that transaction. Now, why did I choose that? Because... I knew because of Jeff Sessions threatening many institutions, if I listed a cannabis company day one, wouldn't touch it because Jeff Sessions would, would threaten them, right? And their, their boards, their investment boards, weren't allowing them to invest in cannabis at this time, right? Because Got of all it. the reasons we articulated. Sure. So how did the SPAC get around that? And this is the reason why I picked it. Because day one, I raised the money. I raised $180 million. That money that I raised from the investors for this public company gets placed into treasuries. 
U.S. Treasuries. So what I thought, because I've made a career in buying free optionality, right? I like to buy things, but I don't like to pay for them because I'm cheap. So mathematically, I think about how to create a pool of lottery tickets, right? I'm not good at betting red or black, right? When I go to a casino. So mathematically, I create a portfolio of all these options, all these lottery tickets, figuring out mathematically how not to pay a lot for it. And then if one or two comes in, I, I, I get a good rate of return. Got so it. the good thing about this fact is I said to investors, yes, you can't touch and invest in any vehicle that is U.S. plant touching. But for the first 18 months, which months, which is the period of time I have to invest the money, you're just investing in treasuries. And they all go, you mean... I'm not touching the plant in the U.S.? I said, yes. You mean this vehicle pays me 2% interest while you spend 18 months looking for the best assets in the U.S.? I said, yes. Yes. <laughs> and you mean at the end, if I'm still not allowed to invest in cannabis, I could simply just sell the stock when you present us with what you're buying? I said, yes. And they said, so it's what you always talk about, John, because I knew a lot of the investors. It's getting paid 2%. That's the treasury yield, right? To have a free look that maybe the world changes. Maybe wow. Jeff Sessions is out. Right. Maybe people's feeling towards U.S. cannabis changes. And in fact, by the time we announced the deal, this was already one of the best performing SPAC in the history of SPACs. And you know what, Justin, people's feelings did change in that 18 months. They didn't feel as threatened. Jeff Sessions was gone. And it ended up to be the correct structure to allow people to invest. Now, let me just tell you the hard part. That all sounds easy. And right. Totally. I couldn't get an underwriter. <laughs> and why not? They, did, they were scared of Jeff Session. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I went to investment bank, investment bank in the U.S., four different ones. They thought they could do it. So now I think, wow, I got this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm going to do this. Or Canada is trading a huge multiples, like 40, 50 times, maybe even up to 100. The U.S., I could be buying EBITDA multiples of 2.7 times. A much bigger market versus Canada, right? Eight times the difference. How could this exist? And I believed that over time, this paradigm shift would accelerate. Could not get an underwriter. So every night I'd go to bed to, with my wife and I would say, honey, I, I can't even sleep because I think <laughs> I this is- Underwriter, wow. I can't get an underwriter. I can't get a lawyer, but I know this is so right. Eventually, I went up to Canada and talked to an investment bank, suggested by my lawyers, and they turned me down. And I was like, I can't take no for an answer. I just got to persevere, persevere. I went back up a few months later, and they decided they were willing to take the risk. And then they took us public, and the rest became history. That wow. company was called... CSAC, Cannabis Strategy Acquisition Corp. That's the SPAC. We de-SPAC'd and we became AYR Air Wellness. Wow. 
amazing story. Um, <clears throat> and so much in that, right? We could probably talk for an hour or two um, just on that whole process. Talk about where you guys are today. When like talk about product, what does it mean to you? Are are you investing in brands? Are you having your own brands? Like talk about what that that looks like in in the world today. The industry talks a lot. So one thing I want to say, I don't know if you have entrepreneurs or investors to both on this call. Both. Both. The first story to just close that chapter. If you believe in something as passionately as I believed in this and continue to do, just run through walls, right? There were so many times, Justin, I could simply just give up because the highs and lows were just extraordinary. So if you believe, don't give up. Fight your way through it. That's the end of that chapter. What what I understand in this industry and the reason why I was, besides the paradigm shift, I was so excited about entering it. As an entrepreneur, what I love is entering new industries, forget new businesses, where no one has quite figured it out yet. And so I call it the white canvas. And because as as a person, I like to think in 3D. So what do I mean, Justin? You make the first choose, the first move in chess. I always make the third. I never bother with the second one. (laughs) And I live on the innovation curve. And I define that 3D space as mine. And as the innovator, I can expect exponential returns. And all of those who follow me typically or the imitator, they have to accept a commoditized return. So I've lived on the innovation curve. I never think about life in terms of local data points, right? It's where the market is going. Get there today. Define it as yours. Be authentic. You know, I always say, I say what I do and I do what I say. And here I was presented with a white canvas. And that's what excited me. There were no real brands yet. There were no real national companies yet. We were the first with the SPAC. And that's what's so fun in life. If you're like me, I have two sides of my brain. I have the commercial side and the artistic side. And so presented with this canvas, with this paradigm shift in consumer appetite, there were no definitions. We could create air in any way we thought we could best serve <laughs> our consumer. No, that's great. And, no, I love and that. That's dynamic, right? Totally. And where's so talk about where cannabis is today? Has it shifted? It's been a couple of years now since you you got off the ground. Are things are are the regulations lightening up? Are are markets are being more flexible with product? What does that look like now? So Cannabis is an extremely hard business. Um, It's not nationally legal, it's state legal, right? So you have different regulatory regimes in each state you operate in. It's also a nascent business. So while we're learning the business, consumers are learning the business, our regulators are learning the business. And so 
the regulation is evolving as we're building, which creates a very dynamic environment to build a company. Sure. The good news is no one really has created that national brand. I think, you know, we bought Levy. I heard about a year ago, Matt. Absolutely. Uh, had a conversation and, and we can talk about that and why I made that move in a second. Air thinks about CPG differently than many of our competitors. But I, I, I just want to remind you, there's never one way to be successful. We have to do it the air way. And so the way we think about it, it all starts like every other great CPG company with the product that you're creating, right? And so what we say at AIR, it's not the box, but what's inside the box. And that it all starts with the plant. We've also said we want to be the largest scale producer of high quality cannabis. Because when we study CPG outside of cannabis, we don't know of a successful CPG company who hasn't focused on quality and consistency of the consumer experience. So it's not the box. Yes, we have beautiful boxes. It's the content <laughs> and the quality and consistency by which we deliver that. Absolutely. So what I say to my team, and I have, a, you know, air is about its culture, right? Plain and simple. Air is about the vision for air. Air is about the people. And so it's about vision, culture, and people, right? And in my years in business, it's only about talent. For me, talent has always been free, no matter what I pay. Sure. Because it's the mediocrity that becomes expensive. And so air is about the talented culture, the culture of excellence that makes this company. And I love that. Um, as you think about growth, how do you, do you think about acquisition or developing your own brands or products or like, what does that look like as you look at the next six to 12 months? So it's a combination of three. Air is rolling out right now as we speak, uh, the air power brand portfolio. When I got in the business, one of the things I was very focused on was who is the consumer? What is the demographic of the consumer? And do we have a form factor in which each segment, each demographic could enjoy cannabis? So let's think about that. Flower. Still in most markets, 50, 51% of the market. I think everything starts with the plant, I told you. I think what I've said over and over again will be true, that you need to be the largest scale producer of high quality cannabis to be a successful CPG company. Coke and Pepsi have to be the best soft drink. Microsoft has to be the best software company. Nike has to be the best running shoe company. Apple has to be the best phone company and they have to deliver that experience consistently, right? So what I often say, Justin, is the iPhone you buy in LA, does it sound exactly the same as the one you buy in New York? 
No, exactly. Very consistent in terms of what you buy. Market to market should sound exactly the same. (laughs) And it should, the weed should taste the same. The experience (laughs) should taste the same. The Nikes I buy in San Francisco can't possibly make me run faster than the ones I buy in New York, right? They have to run exactly the same. And so while a lot of people in this industry, again, are focused on their branding and their marketing, what we say is it starts with the product the quality, and then the consistency of the consumer experience. So wherever they meet us in our eight states, sure, they have the same. I walk into a new town. I'm a consumer. I don't know these brands. I work hard for my money. I see the Air logo, and I say, I know exactly. What quality what and exactly you're getting from a product. Exactly right. So we develop what we call the AOS, the air operating system. In each state, you know, you're vertically integrated in every state. You Absolutely. Kind of as across. That's right. So it's it's not the it's not the most efficient model to have, you know, eight states, eight co-packing relationships, right? There are better ways to do that if you could, and you probably will get there at some point. And so the same way we grow our flower, the same way we extract with the same machines, the same trimmers, the same SOPs, using the Six Sigma folks that we have on staff to make sure that consistency is everything. As I said to you five minutes ago, do you know, help me, of a successful CPG company that de- delivered low quality no. <laughs> no. No. Um, usually they don't make it very long or they have to relaunch under a new name. <laughs> or they have an infomercial at one in the morning. But right. we're not going to do that. So. <laughs> no, no, no question. You're right. You only have one or two opportunities to really impact a consumer, right? Especially trying new product. Um, so fascinating. You've been an entrepreneur before. You've worked with um, entrepreneurs, and here you are growing this brand. I always love to ask our guests, you know, for some of their advice, and you've got gosh, such a wealth of it. Um, what would be two or three things though that have been keys to success here um, in terms of launching and growing this, and, and maybe even look back and, and some of your other experiences? And are there some you know con- constant or consistent themes that you'd share with our audience? So it's some of the stuff we talked about. After all these years of doing this over and over again, there are certain elements to my playbook that just work, right? To start with, what is the opportunity, right? You have to really carefully, and this is where I think some entrepreneurs get mistaken, right? Make mistakes. Is You really got to figure out what is that opportunity? And most importantly, is that opportunity does that opportunity play to your core competencies, right? So, so I've often so said, true. like in the beginning, I when I was younger, I, I made this mistake over and over again. It's like I treated all opportunities equally, and yet it wasn't true because there were some I just didn't have the skill set, the edge, the competency to maximize. So when I was younger, here's the mistake I made, Justin. If we think about the opportunity as a horse and we think about the talent right. as the jockey, when I was younger, I would say, wow, that horse, that opportunity is so big. How could anyone screw it up? And probably didn't focus enough on the specific talent. 
And what I learned now that I'm older is I'd rather take a smaller horse and a bigger jockey. So it's all about square pegs and round holes, round <laughs> pegs and round holes, right? Every opportunity could be great, but what, for your listeners, what are the opportunities that play to your strength? Totally. And eliminate the other and your failure rate will go down dramatically, right? Because you're really using a fine sip to match opportunity to talent. No doubt, so, no doubt. So I've learned that lesson. I've learned it painfully. I've learned it expensively. But I don't, I don't focus on failure. You know, I often say to my team, I think generally when I put all this stuff together one day and put it in a book, I think <laughs> humans overvalue security and undervalue risk, Right. And I don't mean risk for the sake of taking risk because I take calculated risk, but don't overvalue security or you will never, in my view, reach your full potential. Sure, Find absolutely. Find the right balance between risk and reward, right? Between security and risk. And so what is the opportunity? Define it, do the research the way I, I we talked about air, do your research, then figure out if it's right for you. Come up with a clear vision for where you want to take this company so that you can articulate it to the talent because it all, all execution begins and ends with your teammates, the talent that you have on your team. And the way you get the most talented people, track records matter, Totally. So I had that going. Absolutely. But, but also, do they buy into the vision? And that needs, as I said, to be very well thought out. Because I've always said, Justin, we have 2,400 people here. If I can get 2,400 pairs of oars in this company, <laughs> right. all rowing in the same direction. It would be pretty magical. All, all buying into the vision and the culture, the culture of mutual respect, morality, and and ethics, then we win. No doubt. And that takes a strong vision, a strong leader, but a very well-articulated business plan. People and talent is the key to winning. Love it. Great advice. Um, and, and like I said, with your background, so so fun to hear your stories. And um, like I said, I, I think we could talk for hours. Um, and I even like just talking through the, the whole process of launching the business. But man, it's been so great having you here. How do how does our audience engage, learn more about air? Where do they go to? How do they? Um, how do they, you know, jump into your brand? Um, go to the air wellness uh, website, airwellness.com. And there's a part that I love about the website. There's so many parts of the website are so good, but the one that's about us, there's a short video. And if you take a minute and a half to watch that video, you'll understand exactly who Air Wellness is. 
Love it. Air Wellness is AYRWellness.com. John Sandelman, so great to have you with us um, here on the podcast. We hope you'll come back in down the road. This industry is moving fast. It's a, it's one that and we can't wait to watch you and follow you. But um, it's, and like I said, you're, you're kind of early days in it. And um, we're excited for you and just really appreciate you making the time today. Hope you'll come back on, like I said, down the road. Thank you so much for inviting me. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.